Welcome to the World Resources Institute podcast. Don't worry, your headphones aren't broken. The sounds you just heard are the calls of a chimpanzee in a forest in Uganda. It was recorded by our guests today, Rachel Peterson and Lillian Pintea, who are going to tell us all about how a mobile app is saving these chimps by helping rangers track deforestation. I'm James Anderson, filling in for your usual host, Lawrence McDonald. We've got a, a really great show for you guys today. Not only do we have two distinguished guests, but we are going to be taking you into the field with a short segment that Rachel and our colleagues produced in Uganda. We'll hear directly from the forest rangers who are on the front lines of fighting illegal deforestation and wildlife poaching. First, let's introduce our guests. Rachel, why don't you start off? Tell us a little bit about your role at WRI and how you got into this field in the first place. Great, James. Thanks so much. I am the Deputy Director of the Global Forest Watch Initiative here at the World Resources Institute. And as Deputy Director, I help us develop strategies to get Global Forest Watch data into the hands of decision makers all around the world, whether those decision makers are forest rangers in Uganda or indigenous communities in the Peruvian Amazon or law enforcement officers all around the world. So I really help make sure that our data is empowering people on the ground to make better forest management and conservation decisions. How I got into this space, well, it's a, it's a long story, but before WRI, I was actually traveling the world, researching how very remote indigenous communities were starting to use technology to protect their natural resources and their culture. Now, Lillian, tell us a little bit about your role. You work at the, the Jane Goodall Institute. How did you first get into the field of conservation? Well, um, it, it is a long story as well. It started with love, love for nature. I grew up in Moldova, in the former Soviet Union, spending time with my father uh, camping and exploring uh, nature, um, and then reading a book and getting really inspired about conservation in Africa. It was a book about uh, conservation in Serengeti. And um, I started dreaming about becoming a biologist and uh, learning and understanding and protecting uh, wildlife in Africa. Uh, I became a zoologist and started using satellite imagery since 1992 to really look from above and understand uh, what's happening in terms of habitat change. So in 2000, I have an opportunity to work with chimpanzees in Tanzania and work with Jane Goodall and, um, at Gombe National Park. And since then, this is history. The area where, where you're working really intensively right now are in the forests of Uganda. Can you tell us a little bit about this environment? What are these forests like? How are they changing? Who's part of that? Well, Uganda is an important country for chimpanzees and uh, many other primates and biodiversity in general. We're talking about around 5,000 chimpanzees living in Uganda. Most of them uh, right now are surviving in this uh, patches of forests, which are protected as national parks, where and the forest reserves, but also a significant amount of chimpanzees still living in these corridors, which are severely degraded, but equally important uh, for the conservation in terms of maintaining the connectivity between the rest uh, and the viability of the chimpanzee population in Uganda overall. What are the main threats facing chimpanzee habitat and the forests in Uganda right now? Well, chimpanzees have four primary uh, major threats. Forest loss is number one threat to chimpanzees in Uganda. And the conversion of forests happened for many different reasons. Um, one of the major drivers of deforestation is conversion of forests to cash crops. So we're talking about sugarcane production, we're talking about um, tobacco production. Conversion of forests for subsistence agriculture is also a very important threat. 
logging for timber or for uh, any other uses of the forest is, is another major driver of deforestation of chimpanzee habitats. In Uganda, a lot of forests are in the hands of individual private forest owners. Uh, we're talking about small patches of forest, but uh, we're working with more than 1,800 private, individual private forest owners just in a small area in western Uganda. They are very important for the protection of forest and biodiversity because, as we discussed, a, a lot of chimpanzees still survive in this remnant degraded habitats and... Uh, in order to assure the future of chimpanzees in Uganda, these forest patches of protected areas, national parks and forest reserves, which are absolutely essential, need to have functioning corridors in order for the gene pool, for the chimpanzees to, to move and maintain their viability. Rachel, as I understand it, combating these threats is a big challenge and that there's a few parties that have to undertake that, including the, the government bodies in Uganda that are charged with protecting the forest. There's a few different stakeholders in Uganda who we've been engaging with to help improve forest management in the country. The National Forest Authority. This is the agency that is in charge of managing production forests as well as other forests in the country. This is a really critical role because they're not just looking at how forests are being protected, but also how they're being used for management purposes. So they really have to have an eye towards not just how we conserving forests, but how can we also use them for the resources we need to produce, like timber, paper products, other things like that. There's the Uganda Wildlife Authority, and they're charged with protecting the, the national parks that have been designated in the country. And these are very important for conservation, especially Chipale National Park, where we've been working, which is the most primate-dense national park, I believe, in the world. Is that right, Lillian? That's correct. There are many rangers monitoring these parks, but unfortunately, these parks are often quite large. And the rangers have, have a really a large area to keep an eye on, but they can't physically be in every part of the park. They don't know where all the threats are. And sometimes they stick to their normal patrol routes, and they might be missing illegal activities just beyond their line of sight. And so what we've been doing is to try to arm them with better information so they can get to the threats more quickly in these national parks. As you were saying, there is a, um, an information gap. Sometimes the rangers that are protecting these areas don't have access to the right information. What are we doing to help with that? So believe it or not, a couple of years ago, it was really hard to know what was happening in forests around the world. Many different governments and agencies around the world actually didn't have a good grasp of what was happening in their forests. And what we've done with Global Forest Watch is we've leveraged the satellite technology revolution to be able to see from space in real time what's happening with forests. We've worked with a number of partners, including the University of Maryland and Google. We can actually detect using satellites where trees are being cut down every week. And we can share that information more quickly with agencies around the world who might need to be able to act on that information. People like park rangers in Uganda can actually use that information to allocate their resources to the areas that are of the most concern. So Rachel, you're, you're describing how valuable satellites can be for monitoring forests and that you can take this information into the field. What are the tools that allow you to do that? With Global Forest Watch, which we've built here at the World Resources Institute, you can log online with your computer to look at the satellite information. But if you want to go offline into the field, we've built an app called Forest Watcher that lets you take the data from Global Forest Watch offline into the field. If you want to see all this information from satellites, you generally need a stable internet connection and a desktop computer. But the challenge is that many park rangers and indigenous communities, local communities, don't have those things. So with this app that we've been developing, we make it easy for anyone with a, with a cell phone to be able to take information from Global Forest Watch, go offline into the forest, and be able to find areas of change, even if they don't have a connection anymore.
So uh, Rachel and Lillian, you were both in Uganda just a few weeks ago and had a chance to talk directly to some of the, the rangers and the forest owners and to go into the field. Let's listen to a little segment where we hear what they have to say. We're here in Chibale National Park in Uganda, and we're walking down a rough trail on a hillside through dense forest. I have to watch where I'm walking to avoid twisting my ankle and fresh elephant tracks pressed deep in the mud. In front of me, a line of rangers dressed in camo fatigues and tall rubber boots effortlessly navigate the vines and foliage. They know this forest like the back of their hand. In one hand, they clutch their rifles. In the other, a smartphone. We're tracking a deforestation alert using the new Forest Watcher mobile app. During our trip, we met with Hillary, an ecological monitoring warden in Uganda's Jibale National Park. He explained how he and other rangers have used Global Forest Watch. So in total, we have about 34 stations across the park where rangers are based. Uh, we have been using Global Forest Watch in all these protected areas. For the past years, we have been using the mobile app where we select our areas of concern and we check out for alerts. The alerts help us to prioritize our conservation efforts. So it justifies why we need more rangers for community conservation here and perhaps fewer there. So just an indicator of how it can help you to prioritize your resources. We also heard from a manager of Uganda's National Forest Authority, who described how Forest Watcher and weekly deforestation alerts have influenced his work. The Forest Watch has also helped us as staff to identify hot spots, because where you see more alerts, you begin to think there are more problems. And when you move around, you find that there are also various other activities that have a negative impact on the forest. Because as most of these people harvest the eucalyptus, some workers also engroach on the forest. And in the process of harvesting, they also want to clear for the next planting and add on the area which they were allocated. The forest watcher, the immediate supervisors, are now able to take appropriate management steps based on the newer alerts that we get. Finally, we spoke with Martha, a forest ranger in Uganda's Chibale National Park. Chibale has uh, uh, approximately 60 rangers, law enforcement rangers. Now, if you were to, to see the square kilometers Chibale actually has and the ratio to the rangers, 700 kilometers for 60 rangers on uh, 30 days actually means that the ranger will work 72 hours like and the day has only 24 hours and you need to rest. And so Forest Watch actually helps us to be on point, like your patrols become intelligence-led. It is simple because you know we are going to check for this and this year. For management, after some time, for instance, if they found that this place was cleared, they'll ask the manager what happened. And if the manager doesn't have an answer, it means he was what? He was involved because this is your area of mm -hmm. work. How can you not know when the place is cleared? So it actually also brings accountability. Like, you know, we lost these trees to fire. We lost these to as a natural cause. We lost this, it was floods. Especially when we don't have manpower, it is it's quite helpful that you know what is happening on a weekly basis. Mm. You're watching the forest on mm. a weekly basis. 
for us now we can be sure that on a weekly basis we know that a tree has fallen somewhere or something. At least we'll go and check mm. and account for it. And we're back. That was pretty compelling stuff. What is the experience like of following a forest ranger who's chasing down a deforestation alert? Oftentimes we're... If we're going out to find a really remote deforestation alert, you know, we're whacking down vines and, and pushing through trees. In fact, a few of us got a few tick bites hunting down a deforestation alert out in the forest. But there's generally a lot of excitement. Uh, and then once you get there, there's a moment to try to understand what's happening. What's the story? And oftentimes you even find things on the way to the alert. The alert itself isn't the only thing that's happening in that area. There may have been some illegal activities such as snares or other clearing that maybe the satellites didn't pick up. So really, when we're working with these rangers, we try to say, okay, we're going to go find this alert, but keep your eyes open for other things that, that are happening in this area that you might think are important. It's also an incredible opportunity to be with them and see the challenge of patrolling and protecting these areas so of global biodiversity and importance. And many times, it's not only hard work in the field to get to some of these places, but there is not enough resources and uh, equipment or capacity to, to deal with this. But despite of all those challenges, it's, it's amazing to see how um, these rangers are actually committed and motivated to go and, and find out uh, what's really happening in those areas. I imagine if I was someone who had just cleared a patch of forest illicitly and thought that I had gotten away with it, suddenly the forest rangers show up a few days later and I'm, and I'm caught, that experience must be a little bit shocking. Well, yes. Uh, actually, our community forest monitors really liked the Forest Watcher app because it empowered them with this information from, from the sky. And the illegal loggers in some of these community forest areas um, have been wondering if the community forest monitors have access to some special magic powers uh, because they were really effective in finding out some of these illegal activities in the forest. Wow, magic powers from data to magic. I like that. So I think when we talk about this satellite-based technology, in theory, we think about cases you're talking about, James, where there's an illegal logger and then someone goes out and catches them and throws them in jail. But in Uganda, we saw that actually these alerts can start a conversation around what's happening with multiple stakeholders. So for example, many of the cases where there were alerts around the national park we were working in, some of the people that were clearing the area just didn't know where the boundaries were. It was kind of innocent. And so then the people who were clearing the area had a conversation with the rangers, and they had to agree on where the boundaries were. So no one was thrown in jail. No one got a fine. It just initiated a conversation around you know, what the proper management process was. And I think that's really the power of the information is not, not just you know, throwing people in jail or giving them a fine, but really having a conversation about what's happening here and getting to the truth. It seems like stopping illegal forest clearing and deforestation is going to require more than enforcement because you have an area of the world where a lot of people are living hand-to-mouth and clearing a few trees may be part of a, a traditional way of securing a livelihood, small-scale farm or something like that. What else needs to be done in terms of livelihoods and, and making sure that the most disadvantaged can benefit from this sort of technology as well? Forest Watcher and Global Forest Watch information and data for us is just another set of tools in um, how we engage and empower local communities, rangers, and other uh, decision makers to be better informed in having this dialogue and making decisions about, at the end of the day, how to better manage their natural resources. 
It's a data source which can be empowering, but it has to be used in the right management context and to push the dialogue towards more evidence-based, more object-based decision-making, which uh, hopefully will result in better management of forest resources, wildlife, and many other ecosystem functions which people livelihoods depend so much in those areas. I think this information is also really useful for us to do a more informed and better land use planning. It's really important for us not to look at forest versus agriculture, but to ask the question how we can better balance these multiple uses of the landscape, of the land, so we can meet multiple needs. I imagine Uganda is not the only place in the world that faces these sorts of challenges of land use decision making, deforestation, information gaps. Where else can Forest Watcher be used? The Jane Goodall Institute was really the pioneer in helping us create Forest Watcher and piloting it and developing it in Uganda and really understanding how this information can spur action. But as Global Forest Watch, we received a lot of interest in this tool from other places around the world. The way we design Forest Watcher is we're hoping that it can be used anywhere where people need information to better manage forests. And right now it's being piloted in a number of places outside Uganda, including with indigenous communities in Peru and Brazil, even Suriname, in protected areas in Indonesia, as well as a few uh, timber concessions in DRC as well. So we've seen it be adopted by a number of users around the world, and we really think it has the potential to scale to anyone who just needs better information in the field. So let's say I wanted to get Forest Watcher. Is it publicly available? Yes, it is. If you have an iPhone, you can go to the Apple Store and search for Forest Watcher. Or if you have an Android, you can go to the Android Play Store and search for Forest Watcher. Only if you give us five stars. I'll consider it. I'll take a look at it first. Where do you see this technology evolving? What will rangers be using in five or ten years? I think the technology will only continue to improve. The satellite information is getting better. You know, we're getting more frequent data. We're getting more high-resolution data. Connectivity is getting better, so more people are getting mobile phones. The challenge isn't how do we design tools, how do we give people data. The challenge is how do we teach people to use information. And I think that's why it's so important to be working with groups like the Jane Goodall Institute, who spend years working with local stakeholders to understand how are they doing land use planning? How are they doing patrolling? How can they use these tools? So I'm really excited to see where the technology goes, but I'm more excited to understand how we can support people on the ground to use it. This has been the World Resources Institute podcast. Thank you so much to my guests today, Lillian Pentea of the Jane Goodall Institute and Rachel Peterson of the World Resources Institute. Thanks so much. Thank you. That was great.